Magic Conj, will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy. Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we are continuing our sail through the first season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Since we last spoke, some new images have been released for some of the new Nicktoons coming out uh, in the near future. And of course, some of the, at least for me, two of the biggest Nicktoons that are coming down the road is Camp Coral, SpongeBob's Under Years, and the revival of Rugrats. Now, as far as Camp Coral is concerned, the concept, I wouldn't even say it divided fans down the middle. There is definitely a hefty majority of SpongeBob fans who are not happy about this project, uh, mainly for one reason, but I'm sure there's other reasons out there to dislike the project. I've kind of kept my opinion mostly under wraps of my my true you know, knee-jerk reaction to the show, but I'm, I'm keeping those for a future date. Um, definitely closer to when the series is going to be released is when I will, you know, talk about it more in depth and what I honestly feel about it. But they released the first image of the show. And I got to say, at first, you know, the idea of SpongeBob seeing, being CG and being done correctly has, uh, over time, I've gotten used to the idea. They they did it great in Sponge Out of Water. And and then the way that they were able to pull off Sponge on the Run, the look of it, they to me, they were able to fully encapsulate the feeling of SpongeBob in a full CG world. And I loved that. And since Camp Coral was coming from an idea that was used in that movie, I kept my hopes up. At least the look of the series would stay true to that initial Spongebob love and I gotta say looking at the first image it, it, it encapsulates everything about Spongebob each of the characters in their models now of course when it comes to CG a single image can look absolutely fantastic uh, my real opinions on how the look of it comes off is gonna wait until I actually see footage from the show I mean that's where you're going to fully understand hey this is what we're getting this is what it's gonna look like um, and it of course over time even if it's bad, it can certainly get better. Uh, but at least for the initial image, I am satisfied. Um, I am also satisfied at the first little sneak peek images we got of the Rugrats uh, revival. Now, I'm excited for the revival for one main reason, and that's the return of co-creator Paul Germain. Paul Germain was the head writer of the initial 52 episodes of Rugrats. He had this wonderful writing team. They crafted some of your favorite episodes. He brought a lot of the character to that series. He was behind Angelica, um, and of course, Arlene Klasky, if anyone knows the 
the stories out there absolutely hated Angelica and hated the episodes where the babies acted more adultish in their in their ways than they would as babies. So there was a lot of back and forth between Paul Germain and Arlene Klasky. And then there's poor uh, Shubo in the middle, just kind of, you know, going back and forth between the two. After the initial 52 episodes, Paul Germain uh, was not brought back. He went on to create Recess for Disney. And of course, Rugrats kept going forward. But as Rugrats kept going on, the um, quality of Rugrats went downhill fairly quickly. Um, I think everybody would agree with that, even if you like those later seasons. So with the announcement of Paul Germain coming back in some way, shape or form, I was excited no matter what the show would look like. And I figured they wouldn't go back to the traditional 2D animation. I I felt like the fact that they were making this CGI live action movie, that the chances would be they would do CG. And they did. And at first you would think that idea of doing a CG Rugrats would just would stab your brain. But the way I look at it is you have nine seasons of, a, of the original run of the show and three theatrical movies with that style. I, I don't think trying out something different would be the worst thing in the world. If it was not having any more Rugrats, but only, ha- you know, if one option is not having Rugrats at all and the second option is having Rugrats, but it's going to be CG, uh, at least from these initial designs, I, I like the direction they're going in because the characters from Head On look like you would expect the characters to be in 2D and it's kind of like with Spongebob in Sponge uh, Sponge on the Run like it looks like the show but it's almost got a 3D layer put over it and as long as it can encapsulate that in its footage I will be happy although for the four char- the five characters they've showed us uh, Tommy, Phil, Lil and Susie look pretty good and I gotta say Tommy looks the best out of all of them Chucky though I am not a fan of the way Chucky looks, and I'm, I'm just going to have to see him in motion. I honestly think it's the glasses that there's something off about it. And when I look at him, I'm like, uh, you know, you look at somebody's eyes first more than anything else, and there's just something there where Chucky, I, I don't want to be in the same room with you when I fall asleep. But uh, but anyway, th- those, you know, I would check those out. They're, uh, the cover of Variety right now has the Rugrats characters, and it has the sponge, some of the SpongeBob characters. But I would even look up Camp Coral, Coral um, and see the newest picture they've released of the series. And, and regardless of your opinions... If you're a fan of SpongeBob and you're a fan of of animation, you can at least look at that and say, hey, at least on a technical end, it looks really good. So uh, and if you don't, hey, that's it, this is all subjective anyway. I'm not saying anything here is law. You could be pissed off about SpongeBob, pissed off about the Rugrats. And you're totally into that. But um, for this episode, we are speaking with Mataru uh, for the SpongeBob SquarePants movie Rehydrated as we watch the episode Arc. One of my favorites. Enjoy. Yeah, it was almost like, like well, they're, they're technically their captain was gone at that point, so yeah. they were a little aimless, and I think for that first that first season post 
the movie forth. I, I think there are certain instances where they kept that magic going, but then there were certain episodes yeah. where I think maybe younger writers or newer writers got to show off and, and really, I think, missed the mark. Yeah. But then, of course, like with new mark. people constantly coming on, you're eventually, like, the, the taste in the show is just going to change over time. Which yeah, I, that's exactly what it's about. I do think now, though, they have... Because probably the writers coming in now are the ones who grew up on the original stuff. Like, people yeah, my age. It's, so it's yeah, starting it's to come back to that. They're trying to like, kind of roll it back into a more focused kind of Spongebob feel. Precisely, which is what the they should be doing. Tried to go, which is what the original was about. They're trying to go back to that original feel of it. Like, it's so weird, because you'll have, like... In Season 4, for example, you have, like, the, um... Let me just pull up the list for Season 4. But you'll get, like, um... Like, the first couple of episodes was, like, Fear of a Krabby Patty and, um... Crabs vs. Plankton, the lawsuit one. And then you'll have, like, then you'll go to, like, the bottom of the, like, list. And you'll find stuff like, um, Krusty Towers or, um, Chimps Ahoy. And if you, like, just saw these as they aired, like, on repeats, you wouldn't think that they were in the same season. Because they're, like, it's such, like, a weird, like, dispersion between each episode. Especially in styles between the first couple first couple of episodes and the last. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and I know probably taking so much time away from the movie had to attribute to that in some way. Um, because very, very little does a show and movie concurrently work with each other. Um, I mean, even, that's why the Simpsons movie took so long to make. Because they were so busy on the show, there was no extra time to like take you know take anyone away from the tv show to go like hey let's work on an hour and a half long movie yeah it's it's awesome. it's just all of that kind of weird stuff that made those episodes what they are especially with how some of them took some of those episodes like season four took like was like in the span of three years yeah it took a while to, to put so, all those episodes out but so i'd rather nickelodeon like, take well, their time yeah, like, you see, like, so much dispersion and different approaches and directions in episodes, and you can tell, like, with the time passage while the season was going. Yeah, so I, this was, we were having such a good conversation, I, I am, I'm already recording. <laughs> uh, hello, people at home. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what else is really bothering, I don't know if you remember, but there used to be a, like these big dedicated times for new cartoons. Uh, yeah. Growing up, it was always Fridays, which I think was started... I don't know which channel started it, but I know that as a kid, Cartoon Cartoon Fridays was a big advertised thing, and that then was... Nickelodeon had Friday Night Nicktoons. Yeah, that was a massive... That was a massive thing for cartoons during that era, like... They had, they were able to get so many ratings of just of just just kids and adults alike just being able to hop in at that specific time and just see what's going on because it was a very like convenient time and it was very simple to just go on at that during that time. Yeah, and there was also I mean then you have Saturday mornings 
which I don't know if, if that exists anymore. I don't know if any channel is making new episodes of I cartoons think, on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I think, like, if you, like, look at episodes, if you see, like, cable networks now, if you go on, like, weekdays and, like, mornings, it's all, like, it's all, like, Nick Jr.-esque shows that are made for younger kids. But if you go to, like, weekend days, the mornings are more just everyone-based. Like, you'll see a bunch of runnings of SpongeBob, which aren't, like, during weekday mornings, because it's usually for, like, little kids who aren't in school yet. Um, I, yeah, well, there's that, but Saturday morning cartoons used to be, like, um, Fox Kids and then Fox Box and then Kids WB. Like, that was... Yeah, they were, they were competing with each other at such a high level. Yeah, there wasn't. Yeah, now there isn't really much competition at all, or that much dedication to cartoons during those times anymore. And it's just There's uh, not as much dedication to that anymore. We are speaking with the one and only Mataru, who is an, an animator on the SpongeBob SquarePants movie Rehydrated. Matt, how how did you get involved with this project? What was the what was the catalyst to get you uh, interested? So. Around, I'd like to say, like a year now-ish. Uh, I was going through a bunch of collabs, because I didn't really have many like interesting ideas. Like I wanted to animate, but I had no real direction as to how I wanted to animate it and just get it out there. So initially, I started looking into collabs, because you would see like on YouTube and stuff, there's like these collabs getting millions of views with people well-known and people just starting out, which was really cool to look at at the time. So I started getting into a couple of them. There was, um, there's a Futurama one, a Scott the Waz one, and it eventually came to me browsing through Twitter and seeing uh, a SpongeBob movie collab getting announced. And you were and like, I, man, I got to get involved with that one. Because <laughs> I had never seen, besides like the Shrek collab, I didn't really see that many movies at all get a collab like that. And I can imagine, like, how much work and how many people would be involved with this. Well, it takes so many. Well, what's really crazy to me is, just like you, I only really knew of the Shrek one because there certainly hasn't... There's been reanimating collabs. uh, uh, You know, back when Newgrounds was the place to put original animation, you would see that kind of stuff being done. But Shrek was on a completely different level and it just felt like it had a bigger scope. Um, but it, since being a part of this collab, which again was also the second one I ever witnessed that tried to do something on this scope, I found this whole subculture of artists on the internet um, going into different discords and making different collabs. But what I, f- what I have found is that they're usually making smaller projects, like they'll take a 12-minute a episode of a cartoon and reanimate that, and even yeah. that takes they don't have as many people jumping on it so it takes a lot more effort to put into it to try to get artists to be a part of it and put it out there a lot of networking especially in that that i imagine those smaller groups aren't as used to but then you talk about these ones where there's hundreds of people working on it Yeah, there's Where so many. Is such is even bigger. There's so many, and and a lot of people. I I and trust me, I'm say, I'm only saying this because I I feel this. You being on the fringe, you miss on the amount of like. There's a revolving door of people coming in and going out. Um, 
you know, some people are helping for a little bit and then either their personal life or something happens and they got to step away or they're they just motivated and just hop out. Of yeah. Them. And they're just like, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Cause no one in this collab is getting paid. There's not an ounce of money to be made and everyone is doing this at a passion. So you're kind of building this project based off of the passion of everyone working on it. Yeah. It's mostly, like most of these collabs build off of passion. That's really the only way that they're built passion to keep people together, passion to continue working on this, all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's all the fuel of just being creative, which most of us are. We're all very creative people and, and, uh, you know, making content and making art is what we want to do because the hope is you do it professionally one day and get paid for it. Mm -hmm. And seeing like the internet, you get so much creative inspiration from other people, just seeing their works and even just seeing their passion, just like seeing that the, these kind of collabs exists, gives you a lot of creative passion and inspiration. And it's a nice, it's a nice method. I imagine for animators out there or, voice actors in this case because they are you know revoicing the entire movie it gives them a chance to practice a bit more you know um as an artist you should be drawing or making every day you should at least you know i would say to anybody even for something like cartoons you should just draw a cartoon every day even if it's not meaningful or on a chalkboard or something yeah i was gonna ask if i remembered like the shrek one i don't remember if the shrek one had did the Shrek one have voice acting, like original they, voice acting, or no? I, I, the whole thing was as well. Um, okay. Yeah, a lot of I, this. Both Shrek and SpongeBob both are doing the the full treatment of of reanimating the movie. But I've seen to cut down on those audio issues or to get people a lot of animated collabs will just reuse the same audio, but yeah. animate over it. I, I th one of the big ones I've seen is the steamed hams meme uh there they there's a version of it on youtube where i think every 13 seconds a different animator yeah. takes over yeah and it uses the same audio from the show so you'll see a lot more of that than to have someone like redub it and re music and everything because there's so many little cogs working together and pretty much all these collabs but then you have some of these where you know the voice acting's dubbed the music is being remade and even if even if it's longer, you know, that just means even that means just so many more animators. Well, yeah, I, hey, that's uh, like I said, there's there's more of this stuff out there and it's just fantastic to see. And, and especially when it's all said and done, as you mentioned, even if it takes longer, I mean, hey, look at the amount of work everybody put in and you can be proud of it. Even if you are one like five seconds of animation that five seconds is holding everything together just as any bigger parts or um, even if you have one line as a voice actor, you're a part of a massive puzzle and you can see it when it when it's done and say, I was a part of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. You get to say that you were a part of what kept that together as much as everyone else can say that. I mean, that's why I, that's why I jumped at the, at the opportunity to, to be a part of it in some way. Um, I didn't think about going into this project that I would become a voice actor. Although when you're a podcaster for so long and, and you've done radio, I guess you've got a, a decent voice and you can act a bit. I just, it wasn't even a thought in my mind. I was like, Hey, I just want to make podcasts for you guys. It'll help my show out. I want to talk about your, your project. And, uh, and then, Hey, you should, 
I was just told one day, hey, you should just audition for for a couple characters, and uh, that worked out. <laughs> How has your process been uh, since you've started your your first scene, or like the first part of your scene? So back when I initially had it, it was picking out the scene. It was kind of interesting because. I think it was like when it was just announced, so I had a lot of room to just pick between scenes. And the few collabs that I had were very simple scenes that were either distributed by the person or by the main like organizer, or it was already filled up. Yeah. There were only a select few, right? So a f- select few. So I wanted to like get something that was longer than the scenes I picked for that one, because usually those ones were like just the five second ones you mentioned earlier so i wanted to give myself an actual challenge so i picked the 20 second one like a 20 30 second one which is spongebob and patrick fighting off standing off against dennis on top of hasselhoff where spongebob avoids them and dennis dives and stabs hasselhoff's right butt cheek (laughs) an iconic moment exactly and i when I knew that scene was available, I knew I had to get it. It was, it was a huge instinct in me to pick it. You were just like, ah, oh, man, that that butt cheek stab. I gotta go for it. I, I gotta do it. I have to draw Hassel. I have to draw Hasselhoff saying, "Take it easy back there, fellas." Uh, and what what a boss too. I mean, I, I imagine most people have been stung by a bee, and that that hurts in and of itself. But then you have a knife actually just. Even as small as it is being stabbed in you, I feel like that should have been. He brushed it off so easily. Yeah, like, it's like how small. I I imagine if that's like an actual beast thing where he just kind of went, err. I, I think it was a serrated knife, too, if I, rem- if I remember correctly. It was not a smooth knife. Yeah. Oh, man. That just proves more more than anything else how the, how much David Hasselhoff is the man. Which he is, yeah. I, from his introduction to the slow motion walking scene, just running from the shore. Yeah, he, he can magically do that. Bring to the party. I almost had the opportunity to um, uh, put money up in an auction for the giant David Hasselhoff they made in the, for the movie. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen this thing? I don't think I have. You should show it. So when, so when they're making the movie, of course, you know, uh, David Hasselhoff is, you know, they're not going to just like animate his legs. They have him swimming in the water and they have shots of that. But for the animation, what they did is built this like 13 or 14 foot long replica of David Hasselhoff like in the swimming position with his arms on his side and they have hair all over it and real yak hair as his, as his head hair and real hair all over the legs so that when they put that thing in the water and had the jets going, they were able to film it up close and then animate SpongeBob and Dennis and Patrick over, over on top of the model. So it's just it. this ma- – it's probably longer than 14 feet, but it is a massive David Hasselhoff replica. <laughs> I'd love to see an image of Hasselhoff himself standing next to that thing. I think he he must have. I mean, if I knew, if I was in David Hasselhoff's position, um, and I knew they were building a giant replica, I would want to be next to it. I'd want to take a picture of it. 
Listen, man, that's the, the beginning scene with Hasselhoff is very profound. If there was a Bible in SpongeBob, I would imagine the scene where he goes, I can take you there. This is the second coming of Christ. Um, I actually found the picture, and man, when I send this to you, there is a picture of David Hasselhoff next to it. I, I was... <laughs> I was very nice in my estimate that it was uh, like 14 feet long. Uh, apparently it is 12 feet long and came on a, it was all braced up on, on wheels when I looked at it. So it went up for auction and there was just, it was the moment in my life where I'm like, would I really spend a ridiculous amount of money for a ridiculous prop that I will probably never <laughs> Never get my money's worth unless I open up a SpongeBob museum and can say I have the Hasselhoff used in the movie. But uh, I didn't spend I the mean, money on it. I mean, I'd spend it just to say that alone. I wanted to do that when I saw the pictures of the Good Burger car uh, on the side of the road and like messed up. I don't know if you. A couple of years ago, somebody in Florida just took a. There was this. I don't know if it was a car museum or no it wasn't a car museum it was just like a some kind of place and they just had this broken down disgusting burger mobile in the front and uh, i think eventually a car museum did wet and grab grab it and try to re restore it to its original form but Sounds uh like something that could that could be on like the history channel man that could be something that they'd have like a restoration episode there, there's so else. many there should be a museum for nickelodeon i mean there's so many things like the good burger car and the giant hasselhoff mm. and these these big props and even i mean come on how many original cells does they nickelodeon easily, still have they could easily do something with the studios they have in california and such like um What's the um? What's the resort called? What's the Nickelodeon resort called? Uh, I know there's a Putacana. There's one there that's always being advertised on Instagram. And I'm trying, like, look, I know they give influencers a bunch of free stuff. Like, hey, come stay at our hotel for free. Man, come on, a SpongeBob podcaster should be invited to the Nickelodeon Punta Cana's resort so I can talk about it and live in the pineapple house for hey, one night. It doesn't make any sense. You're the most... You're basically uh, advertising them in the entirety of your existence. Come on. That's yeah. It's it's exactly that's the whole goal here. But um, yeah, I think there's a resort. I don't know if it's in California. I know they have a few. Um, they did have the Nickelodeon Suites Hotel down in Florida, but that is no longer around. Holding up that commercial just to see the ability of you can you have the possibility of winning a sweepstakes to go and shake hands with the real SpongeBob. Oh, yeah. They're, they did not have... I was there for one night. They did not have um, any costumed characters around in the time I was there. I did get slimed uh, under their big... They have... Um, in the middle of the whole, whole hotel, they have a water park. And they have... What's at every water park? The giant bucket that fills up with water and dumps down. And I guess every Saturday, they do a mass sliming. So they, they like turn the water like super green and dump that down so that was that was fun but uh i regret not taking the sign for the men's room off because yeah. <laughs> there was that would have been a fantastic prop <laughs> no hold on to show off. <laughs> around our room there was like there was public restrooms and they had vinyl cut silhouettes of characters for the boys and girls and on the boys side it was danny phantom so it was a just him standing there cut out in vinyl but it was one solid color and i was like 
I can pry that off and take it. And they, they could just replace a new one. It's Nickelodeon. And then I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And just knowing that they've since shut down, I'm like, all that stuff got trashed. Everything got Bro, trashed. I, I should have just taken it. I think you're talking about the Butch Hartman dedicated bathroom. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so I looked up Nickelodeon Resort. Yeah, the 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 Punta Cana is in the uh, Dominican Republic. They could easily do a museum like thing there. They could do that there, or I think at Universal Studios would probably be a smart idea too. Yeah, as, yeah, that as well. Like they have, I don't remember. They have like the gift shop. They have the SpongeBob gift shop there too. They could easily just convert well, most of that into a museum here's what i would do they have an entire restaurant dedicated to the universal monsters i would i would call up universal and say have a dedicated nickelodeon restaurant that's more kind of kid friendly but then you could also have a museum section yeah you can have it like there's so many ideas they could do just kind of to support that yeah yeah i i don't know what it is though i think nickelodeon I don't know, it's still strong as a brand, but I don't think, I, I can't say whether or not it's stronger now than it was maybe in the in the 90s. Although they do, have, they do have they do have the Nickelodeon uh, amusement park now at the New Jersey Mall, which is pretty right. close, and so I just got to take a day when it's not like pandemic time to go out to that uh, amusement park. But, um, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty good at assuming and i think you're a big spongebob fan right <laughs> uh, don't even get me started with that yellow <laughs> <laughs> um uh, it's, when was the first like what's your earliest memory of spongebob um i don't i don't think it's that interesting it's mostly just really old repeats just back in like later like just 2000 just during the 2000s really it's just i would see this and just be very entranced and as a kid back then and still today i still wanted to like look at the original stuff for like whatever i watched just to see what how it was created right so i would just kind of look up like the original like season and just move on from there oh well and back when everything was hand-drawn love with it mm -hmm. which man i mean having one of those cells in this day and age is, is like, is like having treasure because, you know, some shows got to be drawn for so long that there's so many cells, there's so many parts of animation, but SpongeBob, it's like that one season. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do you think, I mean, as an animator, do you think you could go back? Like, I, I don't want to assume your job now, but, um, do you hope to become an animator, like an actual professional animator? Um, yeah, I mostly graphic design. If it's something that has to do with graphic design, I'll gladly take it. So yeah, I can just imagine myself being an animator. Like, it's one of those jobs that when you get into it, you get really into it. Like, you can easily just kind of grind that out. Absolutely. For, do you for like an obsession? The whole reason I brought that up after you brought up the first season. Do you think you could have the the push to go to that classic style of animation making, um, constantly drawing the paper, you know, designing the backgrounds, um, actual like painting and drawing and things like that, all completely off of a computer? It's extremely what's it called? I'm sure all of you 
would assume so that that's an extremely difficult and strenuous process. Yeah. But you would really want to do that when you feel like it's necessary. Take an example like Cuphead. That game took so long to come out. And it's especially one of those things like with the collabs we mentioned, how if something's given the time, it can be something special. It's exactly right with that. They put a lot of effort into making those hand-drawn models by just simply sketching them out, draw, line, making the line art, creating the paint for it, and then cell shading it and being scanning that in. That's there's like so, there's like so many processes to that all at once, especially for hand-drawn. Because now you have to deal with modern te technology for editing as well. Yeah, I I, um, I don't want to say that today's animation is easier because I know that the current animation process can still be as strenuous as it I'll, ever was. I'll say this. It's more convenient. I would not call it yeah, easier. That's, it's that's more a, convenient. That is definitely where I was headed. Um, it's convenient in a way that anybody with a computer can, just depending on the programs you purchase, just start doing it. Well... I guess before you could just get a piece of paper and a pencil, but um, the programs that are built and designed to animate make everything much more convenient to kind of place everything in order and nothing's really lost and uh, it's just an overall more streamlined process. Like back in the day, like back in hand-drawn animation, besides sketchbooks, if you wanted to animate, you wanted to make cartoons. Like that's all you really wanted to do. Yeah, well, at least now the people who get those kind of the feelings of wanting to do that, um, they could just, if they don't have a computer already, they could just go out to a, a store like Staples or Best Buy, grab a computer, grab the programs they might need, go home and, and just start doing it. And, and you don't have to, you know, try to worry about a job or anything like that. You can just make your yeah, own. Yeah, you're able to experiment. You're able to see... What ca what catches your fancy exactly? Yeah, that's why I always anytime there's something from the internet that kind of hits big, it doesn't feel as much of an accomplishment, you know, as it used to. But I'm still like, I still think that's such an accomplishment to make something yourself, put it on, out online, and for that to become popular enough to make a career out of it. Like it's still it's still possible as it ever was. Yeah, you can see that, especially in like the storytime animation community. That's probably where it's most most abundant. You can they can there there's a lot of people in that community. Like the people at the top, they're able to get to make so much money to make it a career. Absolutely, which is the really the dream of anybody, I imagine, who is uh, making art on the internet, painting in real life, uh, anything. You'd of course want to just be like, oh, I can do this anytime I want and not have to worry about bills. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Like, That's hey, what it's all about. If I was giving basically full-time job money to just make podcasts and internet content all day, I would I'd be the happiest I've ever been in my life because that would be great. Yeah, I'd rather great. spend all that energy to create instead of I was trying to explain to a coworker like, "Buddy, you could you could sweat from the moment you clock in to the moment you clock out and it's not going to increase your paycheck." There you go. It's so, a lot of people now can have that mindset. Yeah, yeah, be your, be your own boss. Exactly. You can have 
a lot of careers now can be started off as specifically fun-driven. Which is what we're all going to shoot for. Um, but speaking of fun, we are going to take a quick break before we get to the fun and watch the episode ARG. 2,000 years later. And we're back. All right, we are t watching the episode ARG today. One of my favorite episodes of SpongeBob. Um... Probably of all time, because I, I always love the idea of Mr. Krabs just kind of delving into madness. It's always been something I enjoyed. I didn't realize it as a kid, but then when I grew up, and it, it's almost like those episodes where he really gets his comeuppings uh, for yeah, all of his exactly greed. Exactly right. <laughs> it's such a menial thing, too. And you can relate with, you can relate with that so much. Like, you'll see something and be very interested in it. And, and it really, and in the long run, it could just become a fad or something, but you just get really obsessed with it, almost to the likes of Mr. Krabs. And most of the time when Mr. Krabs goes off the rails, he's always b dragging someone with him. It's never, you never have an episode where it's just Mr. Krabs uh, just going crazy. I'd probably Squeaky Boots is the only one where it was really encapsulated in him, but his effects were still on other people. You know, it was still having an effect, but uh, but this is this is one where he really just takes SpongeBob and Patrick on a ride right. of a lifetime. Throughout like the first season, like you know, we get he's the boss that he makes the orders, but you don't really see him really. You don't really see him that make too many of direct orders like that. And when he gets obsessed with that, he becomes so controlling over that. Have you ever played a board game in your life like that after the first time you were so hooked you could play it like four or five more times right afterwards? There's been there's been a good couple of board games where I've been like that, yeah. Yeah, I I completely sympathize with Mr. Krabs cuz it feels like any time a new board game is introduced in my life that I fall in love with, it's like uh, we're only going to play this once. And it feels daunting, like the first time Catan was, was dropped in front of me, or Portrayal on the House on the Hill. I was like, oh, this feels like there's a lot going on here. And five minutes, ten minutes in, you you get it. It clicks, and you go, wow, I understand this board game, and this is really cool. And both times it was like one and done. Like right when I started to enjoy it and it was over, I didn't get that second enjoyment to go like, well, from the beginning, I want to know exactly what I'm doing, and... And so I've always sympathized with Mr. Krabs about this, of, of like, hey, you introduced me to this board game, and now I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, exactly. It could even be, like, a smaller game, too. Like, not, it doesn't have to be, like, a big board game. It could be a simple, like, card game, like uh, Blackjack or just Go Fish or anything like that. And, like, one of those can easily have an addictive nature on you. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything that... Uh, relieves your stress for a moment, lets you just forget. Um, right now, I would say my obsession is Among Us. Just because yeah. I, I love the whole, you know, who's finding the imposter and keeping your eye out for stuff and being the one guy, you know, trying to move the room to your direction. And I, I've fallen in love with it. I'll fall out of love with it at some point. But right now, I am the Mr. Krabs with Among Us. I'm always asking people, hey, you want to play? You want to play some Among Us? Let's go. Yeah, because everyone, everyone else playing the game is feeling the exact same way. So this episode can really affiliate to anyone, really, who watches it. 
Yeah, I hope hopefully they would and not just get angry at Mr. Krabs. Uh, anyway, for anybody watching along with us, um, we are going to be skipping the theme song and we will start right at the beginning of the title card for ARG. So, um, and you mentioned you have the season one set. Is that the original pressing of it that you have? Yes, it's the original green box. Oh, that, that one is so good. Of. You would see commercials of on DVDs, and even like the second season where it's the orange pineapple box, and the commercial would go SpongeBob second season. SpongeBob season. <laughs> One of the best commercials they've ever made. And Just... then at the end of that, it would say, "You could also you can also order season one box set right now." Um, if I remember at the time, I had gotten that as a as a Christmas gift, and. I had pointed it out, but season sets at, at right when that dropped were so expensive. Now when they put a season out, they're like, ah, 20 bucks. But then I think that was like after, $60, $70. It's so weird because after like season three, they started also doing volumes, which was also weird. Yeah, like, yeah they're just trying to break it in half to get more money. And the boxes would be more slimmer and more convenient. There's yeah. always something special about the original, like... Like, yeah, they were bulky and just had full, like, DVD cases in them, but there was always something special included with them. Like, on the Season 2 box set of SpongeBob, there was a, the pineapple cover was just a sleeve. You would open it up and you would see all of the characters in SpongeBob's house, and each character would be representing an episode from that season. Like, you could see Mrs. Puff on the box art holding the crowbar. And the mask on from when she tried to from the episode when she tried to steal SpongeBob's car from that specific scene. They seem to have a lot of fun putting those together. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to think so. I like to. I'd like to think that would be a fun job to help create the the DVD. What fans get to see in stores. Yeah, exactly. The thing with it now is that the thing with it now is it's mostly templates now. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a little. I was happy to see the amount of Nickelodeon shows that Shout Factory put out on DVD. Um, it was nice. I was fine with the, you know, the multiple parts of seasons. But um, when they would release the complete series, that was always a really great thing to purchase. Um, but the 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 covers and all of the stuff were so stock. It was like the only creativity I think they went with was for Rocco's Modern Life, they were able to get uh, Joe Murray to um, to design the box art, I think, for the... Starting with the second season, I think they had him come in and, and he was personally hand-drawing everything, which was yeah. which was really cool. Yeah, like, let, let's not even... We don't even need to go into the special features that those original ones had. Right, right, you, you don't at all. Um I, I that wish stuff in itself is extremely cool. You would see there's stuff like you can know, not only would you get like director commentaries, but you would also get like side by side storyboard comparisons and whatnot. They they had a few of that stuff on some of these newer uh, DVDs. Nothing, nothing that crazy. It was um, maybe like one or two special features. That was about it. Um, the in the older ones, there was so much of it. Oh, absolutely. Well, they put there in so much. much effort. When Shout Factory had the ability to release all of, the, all of these Nicktoons, um, it was just like, this is the episodes and that, that's it. Um, there, there wasn't that much fun with that. Um, although, looking now, they had, a, they had a good amount here. I just wish Paramount would do it on their own and take their time and, and um, 
they did to be fair they did do a yeah. good job re-releasing both Rocco and Hey Arnold in complete mm-hmm. series sets but they should be doing that with Rugrats they should be doing that with with Auro Monsters and putting in uh, way more effort than Shout Factory would no offense to Shout Factory I'm, I'm happy for the releases regardless but to like exactly. really go above and beyond for like hey if you're a fan this is the one set you're going to want to purchase yeah, and it's an easy market, too. There are lots of people that want this. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, So at the when I say start, we're going to start the episode ARG. Um, and mm-hmm. if you have your Season 1 DVDs out, by all means, pull those puppies out. <laughs> uh, and we'll start it now. Um, I, I love the sense of adventure that this episode gives for through for the characters even though by the end spoiler warning it's almost all for nothing or at least perceived at a point um but when mr krabs shows up the next morning with a with a pirate ship it's like i i wish i had a friend who would do that i wish i wish i had people that would go to those lengths lengths yeah or even even not just a pirate ship just to just to uh have a car pull up and say hey we're going on a treasure hunt yeah, exactly. Even just stuff like that would be really cool. <laughs> just, but the fact that Mr. Krabs dived on the board at the <laughs> the for the first thought of treasure, like I would hate to be in the Krusty Krab and mention anything about money if that's what he's gonna do is just tackle my table. Apparently, everyone in the Krusty Krab knew they were about to see some serious stuff. They all left. Uh, yeah, there's that. There's been a few episodes where it's just for as popular as the Krusty Krab is, it's completely dead. <laughs> exactly. I've never played a board game at work. Which, the whole thing, hey, for any budding managers out there, the thing to say to people leaning grab a at board work. Scrabble, man, get something. <laughs> no, it's, hey, time to lean, time to clean. <laughs> so, so even though SpongeBob did a great job, uh, if I was Mr. Krabs, I'd find something for him to do. You're paying him, for God's sakes. Exactly. Although, if you're in SpongeBob's situation here, I guess it would be if Mr. Krabs is that obsessed with the Flying Dutchman's game, I would just say, "I'll play with you, but it's going to cost you." See, really put his obsessions together and see what he chooses. <laughs> just love to see that. I love I love the joke about the fly being down. By the way, <laughs> can't just, even see his fly. It's under the table for nothing. Same. Nope. Now he's got the treasure. This is the guy. This is the Fred here. Rev up those fryers. <laughs> Who That's I probably the most iconic part of this episode. It's not even related to the actual topic. No, that's definitely a, that's become such a big meme. Uh, I've definitely I'm shocked that uh, I have yet to walk into a fast food restaurant like that. <laughs> Just nobody showed up for the entire day besides that one guy. And he knew too. <laughs> he knew all. Oh, they got the fryers off. Well, I'm gonna give them a big order. I wonder what he would have ordered though. That's the thing. What was he I, in there for? Who knows? How did Mr. Krabs... Maybe he has a key to SpongeBob's house. I mean, it is Mr. Krabs. He probably... I imagine... I'd like to think that because of how much SpongeBob cares for Gary, I imagine Patrick, Squidward, Sandy, and Mr. Krabs all have spare keys to his house. 
Listen, the way I see the scene where he goes in between the house and now I just crabs just dig through the sand. That's exactly what he was just doing. <laughs> he was using the little shovel that was in the Flying Dutchman's game. <laughs> Which, when I was in high school, I was He's... in a marketing class that we had to create a board game, and I tried to, I tried to replicate the board game as best I could, uh, even to having a little thing in the middle with sand that you would dig in. I feel like I had something similar to that, but it, but it was with eels and escalators. <laughs> you just you just got to repaint a shoots and ladders game, and there you go. There's no like. <laughs> There's no rules to it. You just kind of just kind of keep rolling until you you get to the last. And you just don't get the eel. Which I I don't understand after all this time. I should work I should work for Nickelodeon. I could make them a ton of money. Yeah. Why have they not released Eels and Escalators as a game? Like so just SpongeBob branded. I feel like you could sell that in a Newberry Comics or FYE, and it would, you know, kind of go for that adult collector crowd, and it would, it, like, fans would buy it just for the sake of buying Eels and Escalators. Exactly. You could be able to say that you played Eels and Escalators. Uh, would you rather be uh, Blindbeard the Pirate or Peggy the Pirate? Um. I think I'd rather just be Peggy the Pirate, man. You're, you're taking off both your legs? At least I could walk like a crab. I could use my hands. I don't know what to do for Patrick. He's just kind of <laughs> just kind of standing there. there. There has to have been an actual pirate at some point that had two eye patches that was completely blind. I think the same would have to be said about the two peg legs. You know what? You're right. Both. That, I wonder if they're on the same crew. <laughs> uh, there's so many. This I. One of the biggest season one episodes that I will quote in in real life. Just the stuff when you're messing with people and you're referencing the show and you do the arch yeah. stick. Uh, everything about the, the, you know, a few other quotes in the adventure that I just feel like come up. But definitely when I saw them saying arg, I'm like, oh, that is absolutely something I've done before. <laughs> SpongeBob's right. The whole ship is underwater. <laughs> one of the one of the my favorite memes ever is uh, something that says, uh, I don't think people realize that in like 40 years you're going to be able to walk into a nursing home and just see a bunch of people referencing Spongebob. <laughs> and that that's the only excitement I could find of being like, if I was old and being in a nursing home, is just to quote Spongebob and see what other see if other people catch on. Oh, that's, I remember that one. Actually, <laughs> a little boy. Evil! <laughs> it's the TV repairman. Actually, recreate that. Yeah. And SpongeBob will Another... still be on TV with Tom Kenny still voicing SpongeBob somehow. Another classic joke, Weast. Oh, that's that is definitely the most. That might be for me one of the most quoted parts. Is anything with a compass, anything that where I can say Weast, I will throw that joke in there. East? <laughs> yeah, I thought dude. you said weast. Uh, certainly any time I... in a good way. Anytime somebody... I play with a group of friends in Fortnite, and it's my only enjoyment is when I play with them, uh, and any time somebody says, like, oh, we're, we're, we gotta go we gotta go east or, or west or something, it's just... It's like instinct. I have to say it. 
Man, Mr. Krabs is just manipulating SpongeBob and Patrick here. Well, he's cre- it's kind of it's kind of impressive though that once again, not to spoil anything, they still make it in the end. Like they so, do. even though Mr. Krabs was almost creating his own his own uh, X marks the spot, he gets there anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I love that we haven't bathed in a week, and the fact that SpongeBob scuttles away from him. That's probably the most, what's it called, the most subtle joke. Besides, like, the whole ship is underwater, Captain. (laughs) It's one of the better ones. I like Mr. Krabs bringing out his cot, and he has the tent. Like, he definitely packed that ship for him, and he didn't bring anything for SpongeBob and Patrick other than clothing. Like, here's some hats you can wear. Couldn't even give them the common the common courtesy to use that poster as a blanket. <laughs> I need to have the the pirate flag in the in the. How are people going to know we're pirates if I don't take it seriously? Also, I want to point out how impressive it is that Mr. Krabs was able to take a uh, like a cardboard board game and yeah. perfectly roll it up in a piece of paper, so that even when SpongeBob and Patrick closely look at it, it is still intact. All the pieces and cards are still together, neatly yeah. stacked and in place. Cartoon magic. I'm trying to think, I can't think of any board games where the goal is to find the like an like treasure like that, like an X marks the spot. Listen, I think, I think the game itself is a little BS. Mister Krabs rolled once and he won the game. <laughs> he just ran. SpongeBob it, and Patrick went first, and then he went and won the game. There has to be if I if I was to recreate that game, there would ha- again like if I tried, there would have to be a card that if you pulled it on a specific spot, like this one card in this one spot, you would win the game, and it would be the Mr. Krabs rule. Yeah, it says you are a real pirate. You are a real pirate. Oh, I'm on the I'm on the pirate space. I go to the treasure immediately. <laughs> Uh, this is actually the... We don't have any real debuts in this episode, but this is the first time that the Flying Dutchman's ship was actually shown. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think about, especially with the um, the Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah, that it didn't show up. He just conjured, him sh- conjured himself into the Krusty Krab. I think Mr. Krabs just wants the chest for the one pink uh, high heel that's in there. <laughs> Oh, man, the Flying Dutchman. Brian Doyle Murray, my second favorite Murray. First being Bill. But it's so close. I, I love Bill Murray, but I love I love the Flying Dutchman just <laughs> so close to Bill Murray that it's like, oh, man, your brother. Your brother's got a cool job, Bill. It's really true. I wonder how much the gold doubloons. I wonder what's the gold doubloon to bikini bottom dollar ratio. I actually always wondered that as well. How much would that be worth? <laughs> he go gives to, him uh, the plat. I wonder if. Go to the gold and silver pawn shop from Pawn Stars and see how much Rick will give you. <laughs> you know, I I know that there's a joke there. Now, <laughs> I've watched enough of that show that I have you have you seen a, a decent amount of episodes with uh of Pawn Stars. 
Yeah. Rick, Rick is fairly fair with his, you know, with saying, like, look, the product, even if it's $10,000, the chances of somebody buying it for $10,000 is I like. I just think it's funny. <laughs> once in a year, I'm going to give you 7000 and the people will just. <laughs> no, I want eight. And it's so silly. But then uh, his son is the one that's the worst. I remember there was an episode. Where Chumley. No, Chumley's not his son, uh Big Hoss. Oh, yeah, you're right. Big Hoss. There was an episode, I think it's the Charizard cards, where a guy brings in it was something nerdy where oh, yeah. they always seem to bring the nerdy stuff to Big Hoss because they probably know he'll just dump on it. And this guy had like thirty Charizard mint cards, like all in it was they even brought in an expert who said this collection was worth, I, I don't know, I'm pulling all of these numbers out, but it was just like $5,000. And the expert left, and then Big Hoss is exactly. like, sorry, buddy, I don't want cards, uh, so I'm going to offer are, you is $50. And those are things people actually want. Yeah, yeah, people it was... spend ungodly amounts of money for that. There has been more than enough times where, where Big Hoss gets told an estimate from an expert and then just undercuts it by, like, 75%. And it's like, guy... Come on, you gotta at least work with people. I think Rick is fair though, but it's always Rick used in the memes. That's what bothers me. I just think it's funny just to imagine just right, hey, like the person's just going, "Hey, I'll, hey, listen, this thing is." The experts like, "Yeah, people will spend like five hundred thousand dollars for this." Best like, I can I do is two like, bucks. Yeah, I'll have I'll have a hundred thousand dollars, and then someone just makes a joke saying, "Just Rick going, yeah, best I could do is three quid." <laughs> maybe a, maybe a handshake if you get on my good side. There, there, there was someone who didn't really, uh, someone who was watching the show with me once, and um, th- it was the first time they really, really watched Pawn Stars. And there was, there, there was one time where, where, I think it was Rick, just kind of undercut somebody by a great deal. But it was an item that would have sat there for a long time, and the person I was watching with just didn't get that at first. So they were like, "Wow, that was really dumb," and and complained. And I was like, "Hey." <laughs> Do you notice that one statue on the shelf in the background? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's been sitting around for at least five seasons of the show. <laughs> so, like, that could be worth a million dollars, but it's not going to be worth that until someone comes in and yeah, says, probably. I'll buy that for a million. Part of that value is probably just for people that watch Pawn Stars at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I know that thing. How much is it? Oh, a million dollars? Sure. Take it. I'll oh, take I'll it. take it. I'll, I'll take well, your entire stock. I want to mention one more thing about Pawn Stars, but I will say that the, that, <laughs> that probably has to, the end of the episode there with Patrick going, gee, Mr. Krabs, you're looking all sweaty again. It's probably <laughs> the perfect, like, cut to black j- joke that's made and that I can think of in SpongeBob. That's probably my favorite. Yeah, Especially I. Especially how it was a running joke from the beginning of the episode. Oh man, Mr. Krabs, you're sweaty. <laughs> just how he says it, like no hesitation. Like I'm just gonna tell this guy he's he's super and, sweaty. And just looking at Mr. Krabs, completely still, looking at, at, at looking at the mist as the Flying Dutchman goes away. He just doesn't have uh, that. Like I feel like Mr. Krabs sometimes just has poor social skills. And he's kind of an introvert, and I I don't know. It's moments like that that, like, even when SpongeBob messed with him about the, the fly being down, how much he freaked out about it. I don't know. It's kind of adorable. It's endearing of Mr. Krabs, but then I love, like I said, as much as I love him, I love when he just delves into, like, this madness of this board game, and it's taking over his life. 
And he walked away. He should walk away, you know, even though he's not a penny richer. Should walk away yeah. knowing he still found the X of the real fi- Flying could, Dutchman's treasure. I mean, someone could someone could want that on Craigslist. You never know. <laughs> the actual uh, plastic piece given to him by the Flying Dutchman. It's like it's like they're holding. They have the original Flying Dutchman board game that came out in like the nineteenth, the early nineteenth century. Absolutely, and then and then that ends up in Pawn Stars. There you go. Oh, it's the first one. Uh, uh, the toy expert comes in. Oh, it's worth about $50,000. And Big Hoss is like, and then you're like, oh, how much are you asking for it? Okay, oh, it's worth 50000 All right, so I'll take 10000 What is this thing? Uh, Big Hoss, best Wait. I can do is 100 bucks. Well, it's the Flying Dutchman game? What? Do you even have the, the plastic toy chest piece? Oh, right here. I think... I think one of my favorite moments of Pawn Stars is not even when they, like, drop the prices, but, like, when people bring in stuff that's so fake that it's impossible for the person who brought it in not to know that it was fake. Like, there's one where there's a John Lennon drawing. Like, this guy came in to Rick just saying, hey, what's it called? This thing is where... He came to Rick and just said, hey man, this is uh, the original... These are drawings made by John Lennon himself. And Rick just turns the paper over and it's just Kodak logos all over the back of it. (laughs) Really? I've never seen this. Oh man, I've never seen anybody bring anything so fake. (laughs) The person trying to sell that has to have known that was fake. It was an older guy, but it's impossible. He's not that old to not see that. Well, people, um, they they have to vet everything that shows up on that show. So even things like Comic Book Men and Pawn Stars, all that stuff's planned. You basically, um, you, you apply if you want to sell something. And if it's something interesting for television, uh, they'll bring you in. They'll fly you in. Uh, they're the ones who bring in, you know, um, history or whoever, I think it's history channel has that, uh, pawn stars, they'll bring in the expert and whatnot. So you got to apply to be in that show. So it's silly to think that possibly a guy applied with Kodak pictures of John Lennon's signature. It's so weird. I wonder at what point the people, the producers of that show knew, like, they're like, oh, we have the John Lennon signature guy coming today. And then they show up and they're like, all right, we're, like, can we at least see it? And then they notice, like, oh, my God. Well, let's not tell Rick. Let's just <laughs> let him this go in. This will be funny. Yeah, this will be a good episode. Uh, but, Matt, Matt Aru, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, do, you have, do you have absolutely anything you want to plug uh, for any of the listeners out there? Um, I, have, I have my YouTube channel, just Matt Aru. And, you know, Twitch, I'm not Twitch, Twitter at Real Mataru, but in all honesty, just please just go look into the SpongeBob SquarePants movie re- rehydrated collab. It's honestly a really huge thing. And it's such and all the support, no matter how big or small, it means a lot to everyone working on it. So please just go check that out. Absolutely. I second all the. I second I second that whatsoever. Like. If you have a second to go check out even their Twitter page, uh, there's been uploads of some kind of uh, sneak peeks of scenes. I would take a look and, and check out any of the artists we feature here on, uh, on I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. Mataru, thank you for being on, and I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. I'd love to have you on in another episode, and uh, you have a good night, my friend. Oh, I'll catch you later, man. See you around. I'm ready! Magic Conj 
Will I ever get to meet Tom Kenny? Maybe someday. Oh, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay, okay. Should I tell fans of the show how they can support us? Yes. Goofy Goobers, supporting the show is shockingly easier than catching a blue jellyfish. Right from our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash spongepod, you can find links to all of our social media and a support button if you happen to have a few extra clams. Also follow us on twitch.tv slash spongebobpodcast, where it's not only the official home to our sister show, Video Bob Game Pants, it's also where I stream live drawings of various Nickelodeon characters and host the opportunity for commissions and giveaways. Lastly, the official merchandise store is now open at redbubble.com slash people slash spongepod, where various designs will be uploaded in Inspired by our show, including our official logo, which is now available on a multitude of products like t-shirts, stickers, duvet covers, and even a shower curtain. This is a podcast by a fan for fans and will always be fan-driven. Any way you see fit on supporting our show is much appreciated. Thank you and enjoy.